This morning, I have the great pleasure and honor to welcome our uh, traveling monk, Nanzan Harold Schluckelmann, along with his wife, who came over from Germany uh, to receive Dharma transmission from uh, Hosan Roshi. Juan, his partner, gave a uh, talk on Saturday and spoke a lot about their work and practice over in Germany. So I will um, cut to the chase and welcome Nanzan to share his side of their story together. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good morning. Heroes, thank you for your kind introduction. <clears throat> I would also like to thank our teacher, Herbert Hosan Roshi, for giving us the opportunity to speak to you. And also, again, great gratitude to all of you uh, from the Berkeley Zen Center Sangha who have supported us in so many ways uh, during the last week. Also, deep gratitude to our Sangha in Germany, Wind and Wolken Sangha, for their support for many years of shared practice and for walking this path together. Now, the title of my brief talk this morning is Sharing the Same Boat. How can we practice oneness in this world of differences? And given the many difficult and sad things happening in the world right now, I thought it would be good to talk about a teaching which is from a beautiful and inspiring essay by Zen Master Dogen called Bodhisattva Shishuho. Actually, we have studied this text together with our Sangha in the last year and we have returned to it again and again as a source of encouragement. Now the title Bodhisattva Shishuho, as many of you know, has been translated as the Bodhisattva's Four Methods of Guidance or the Bodhisattva's Four Embracing Actions. And it is a relatively accessible teaching that can give us guidance in what the day-to-day -day activities of a Bodhisattva may look like. Now, for the purpose of this talk this morning, I would like to concentrate on the fourth of these teachings. However, all of these four teachings are interwoven with each other, and so uh, I would like to touch on them briefly. The first teaching is giving or to share what we have. Dana. The second teaching is kind speech, and these are words that help others, words that touch another person's heart. The third teaching is beneficial action. In Dogen's words, this means to create skillful means to benefit living beings. And he also writes, beneficial action is an act of oneness, benefiting self and others together. And this this theme of oneness sort of carries over to the fourth teaching, um, and that is identity action. And this phrase, identity action, is a little bit harder to understand. We know both of these words, but we have not seen them together. So um, the original Japanese expression is doji. And in Kastanahashi's comment to the Shobugenso, it says doji literally means same thing. So do means the same or equal, and chi can be translated as thing, matter, or task. So do chi, identity action, has also been translated as one thing, one shared concern, 
acting together as one, sharing the same aim. And I think, or, or, or I feel that she having the connotation of, star, of task is also important because it points out that it is not just about having warm thoughts in our minds, but about activity, about giving expression to it, about showing it. Interestingly, there's an earlier version of these four virtues in the Pali Canon, in the Nikayas, and here the fourth teaching is described as, and I quote, being the same in both happiness and suffering. This means sitting together with them, living together, and eating together. Isn't that sweet somehow? And doesn't this remind us of the expression of being in the same boat, recognizing that we all share fundamentally the same aim, namely to seek happiness and to transform our suffering? Now let's take a look at Dogen's text. Dogen writes, identity action means non-difference. It is non-difference from self and non-difference from others. When we know identity action, others and self are one. So identity action means not to be different. And this means oneness, right? It means that everything that appears, you, me, everything, shares one source, one rea reality. However, how firmly do we often hold onto the idea that we are separate? and different from other people and from the rest of all the things in our lives, which again is often the source of our misery. Identity action in turn then would mean dropping that and returning to the one reality we are all part of. Dugin also says, identity action is non-difference from self. Now, what does he mean by that? Do we ever think we are different from ourselves? I think there's a deep spiritual level where we can be in separation with ourselves when we are not who we are truly, when we are not living fully, when we inhibit ourselves or our potential, or in Buddhist expression, when we do not live by our vows. And then of course, there's a more psychological level we all know too well uh, where we can be in separation with ourselves. Just recall one moment of self-judgment, something like, why did I do that? Or I shouldn't have said that. Doesn't that feel like, like there's something, someone standing next to you, scolding you? And non-difference in turn, identity action is the opposite of that. It means entering completely into your life so that everything that is apart, that is separated, can merge and heal again within yourself as well as with others. So now that we have looked a little bit into what identity action means, let us explore some questions how we could translate this into our practice. How does identity action show in everyday life? How does it arise? Is it something that we consciously do or is it rather the fruit of our practice? And if so, how can we prepare for it? Do we have to add something? Do we have to make an effort? Or do we have to let go of something? And to begin, I would like to share two personal stories. 
Now, sometimes there may be moments when we have glimpses of being one, of sharing the same boat, and we may be conscious of that. When I was in my early 20s and when I started uh, working with sick people in the hospital, I often felt overwhelmed and helpless by what I encountered, by all the suffering, uh, all the broken lives. And after some of the more difficult encounters, I would uh, sometimes think to myself, I'm not going through this, they are. Of course, that was my defense. And of course, you know, on, from one perspective, that's also true, but it's not the whole truth. Because with this simple thought, I'm not going through this, they are, I began to, to uh, delude myself that I was separate from them. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, I was called to an elderly gentleman with whom I happened to share the same birthday. And not, not only that, he was exactly uh, 50 years older than I was. And of course, I felt connected with him. And also, I started to feel in my heart that 50 years from now, maybe I could be actually in his situation. I could be him. And a short time later, while standing at the bed of a sick person, a small crack appeared in my armor of separation. And just for a moment, there was the certainty that this person is me and I'm this person. And this suffering is also my suffering, deep kinship. And this small insight was really nothing spectacular, just like more like a small opening towards a path that would allow a deeper connection with other people. <clears throat> and of course, there are those moments when we seem to be very, very far away from Dugan's non-difference and in fact are feeling explicitly different from each other. All the difficult emotions triggered by family dynamics are a wonderful example for this, as you all know, and in fact, a wonderful practice opportunity. So a week before we came here, I was on the phone uh, with my father, who at that time was struggling with a health problem, which I assessed as serious. And so I, I advised him to go to the hospital and to get some help something that he absolutely did not want to do. And in my perception, I thought he did not believe me. So what happened next was very interesting. Just for a brief moment, I could see that here comes something big that is beyond my control and like karma unfolding and with all the myriad ways we are connected to each other as family. And one moment later, I. I myself was completely 100% identified with my own 12-year-old self that was relating to his father, with emotions flying high, anger, shame, and so on. And we got into an argument, which I felt at that time very sorry about. Now, the next day, we reconciled and apologized to each other. <clears throat> so what um, struck me in this context, when we both were in an argument, were we really different or non-different? And perhaps we could be more generous in how we try to understand identity action. I feel that what led to this situation was the fact that my father and I 
are indeed deeply connected, one by the same blood, the same habitual tendencies, the same personality quirks, and connected by deep love. And maybe non-difference from self and others is uh, indeed much bigger than we dare to think big enough and uh, gracious enough to hold all of our human imperfections, our habits, our foolishness, our needing to take a break once in a while. So let us for a moment take the liberty to expand uh, the meaning of identity action beyond the social context of relationships as it was originally implied. And of course, the place uh, we all know where we, where we will meet non-difference from self and others is our meditation cushion, is the practice of Sazen. Just recall the well-known passage of Dogen's Genjo Kuan, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. Looking from the perspective of non-difference from self, we could say this is to get to know yourself intimately, to be completely with yourself, to be completely who you are. And in the Genjo Koan, it further says to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be enlightened by the 10,000 things. So when we forget the self, when we loosen the grip on our deeply ingrained sense of self, then there's no difference from others, no separation. The world appears, the 10,000 things come forward and there is awakening. Or in Kastanahashi's beautiful translation, to forget the self is to be actualized by the myriad things. Then there's no difference. And this is what Dogen's points to when he writes, when we know identity action, others and self are one. Now, how can we practice this? And there's a great teaching that has helped me a lot to better understand how to prepare the ground for non-difference, for identity action. And this is by returning to a subtle openness of the mind. And this teaching is from Suzuki Roshi, from the book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, uh, the chapter Readiness, Mindfulness. Here he uh, said, the important thing in our understanding is to have a smooth, free-thinking way of observation. Our mind should be soft and open enough to understand things as they are, just to see and to be ready to see things with our whole mind is Sazen practice. So the point is to be ready for observing things. This is called emptiness of the mind. Emptiness is nothing but the practice of Sazen. So what Suzuki Roshi does here he's, is he encourages us to cultivate a readiness of the mind that in his words is smooth, soft and open. We could, we could call it a gentle readiness or a soft readiness. He describes an open, flexible mind and that we need to be open for anything. And there is a great vulnerability in this openness of the mind because we are ready for anything to arise and we are ready to receive it. And when we are ready, when our minds are ready, we are resting in the truth that anything can arise 
and we will meet it and we will be able to meet it. And in this readiness, there is no separation. And we are deeply connected to ourselves as well as to others. And here there is no non-difference. How can we return to this readiness of our minds? We can simply remind ourselves to be ready. Um, many of you know the story of Surigan, the old Zen master hermit who would address himself during the day repeatedly, Surigan, and he would answer, yes, Surigan, yes. We can also make the choice to be present and then affirm it again and again. Now, it is not easy to use words <clears throat> or language um, to communi communicate about something like identity action that in fact has to be experienced and has to be expressed. And sometimes po poetry can give us a hint about things that are difficult to say you know, in common language. And I would like to share a poem by Rose Ausländer, whom we honor very much, that starts with uh, the theme that Chuen was talking about on Saturday, for those who, were, who uh, heard her talk, namely fear, and then moves on to another place. And the, this poem is from Rose Ausländer's uh, later years when she was when she had been bedridden for a long time already. And the title is in German, Noch bist du hier. You are here still. Throw your fear into the air. Soon your time is over. Soon heaven grows under the grass. Your dreams fall into nowhere. Still the carnation smells sweetly. The thrush sings, still you may laugh give words away, you are here still. Be what you are, give what you have. I would like to end with a few questions and suggestions that have helped me working uh, and practicing with that um, difference or identity action and that perhaps you might find useful. So how does identity action show and feel in your life? How can you express this being one today and now in this moment? Return to the soft readiness of your mind again and again. When there's difference with others, try to offer, to offer kind words. When there is difference with self, Speak to yourself kindly. Once in a while, put all your identities aside and le let yourself be deeply touched. And be who you are. Give what you have. I would like to thank you very much for your attention. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts, comments, and questions. Nanthan, thank you so much. I can definitely identify with your action uh, this morning uh, presenting uh, Dogen's Dharma to us. Laurie. Greetings. Hi. Hi, Nanzan. Oh, no. You know, as you were talking about 
I, 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 I connected so much with what you were saying about identity action and it was, it felt like a big safe, warm pool to join us all together in just talking about how connected we are and being with a group of people who, who can share that, you know, to some degree, at least, um, we don't know everybody's every thought, but something like that, we're all here for kind of something related. And then there's just, there's just the gap between the incredible domination in the world of this gap between self and other and, and, and us and them group, my group, the others, you know, whether it's one individual or how, I mean, I don't even know how to encompass that, you know, or, or join that or, or connect through, through, through and through that gap, you know, do you have any words of, you know, oh, your words are very encouraging, but if, you know, like how, how do you connect with people who are refusing to connect with others? I think, you know, what I was talking about today is, so it's the deep truth, but there's that we are all connected and um, basically fundamentally not different from each other. But there's also the truth that we are different, you know, there's also difference. And the, the art is to find a balance between these two and that, that we, um, not to forget that we are connected. And <clears throat> I think in, you know, for practitioners of, you know, of um, spiritual paths, right now holding this, what is, you know, the intense divisiveness and the collective trauma going on in the world, one task would be just allowing that pain to feel, you know, and not cutting ourselves off from that to the degree we can manage. That's how, how I feel it, you know, and um, it's a challenge and, at the, and it's not easy. At the same time, there's a great strength in that if we start, if we don't close the door in our hearts, you know, if we, we um, strive and go again to the point again and again to keep our hearts and, and minds open Thank you. Thank you, Laurie. Uh, Heiko, you're next. Thank you, Nathan, so much for your talk and, and for your stimulation. Um, I was only just reading uh, something saying that in our oneness, we also have to honor our two-ness. Mm -hmm. And so when we see uh, our own upset, uh we can recognize okay i'm upset when we see others upset oftentimes we take that into ourselves and and call it our truth our fault and accept those blames uh, in order to be sympathetic perhaps or how would you say how can we avoid in other words taking in other as other and, and having it come out of ourselves in a non-toxic way. I think, or I feel that, you know, one of the fruits of our practice is that we 
uh, widen our container, so to say, so that we can hold, first of all, all the different parts of ourselves, that we can recognize them and we can just hold them. That means letting them be as they are. Also the parts that we maybe don't want to identify that much, you know, with or like, I don't know, short temper or something like that, you know. <laughs> That, that's me, that's also me. So, and from that, we, I don't know, it's, it's probably not a conscious step, but I feel that this larger container extends also to other people. So then we, when we encounter difficulties with other people, then it's, we can hold the two. That's, that's not the, the one particular difficulty is not the whole person that's uh, engaging with me. The whole person has also many, many parts. And besides those disagreeable parts, there may be also many agreeable parts, which I don't see right now in the moment, but I know they are there. So, bigger container is the word. Thank you, Nanvan, and thank you, Heiko, for a great question. We can look, yes. Uh, Sue Moon, looks like you'll be having the last uh, opportunity today to uh, ask a question or comment to Nanzan. Thank you. Thank you, Nanzan, for your really kind and reassuring talk, encouraging talk, not reassuring, but encouraging. Um, it's so difficult to be reassuring in this time. But my, my question is about uh, thinking about times when I think there's too much identification and I have just had to have a wonderful visit with one of my grown sons and I experienced with my children who are adults and with my grandchildren and with other people that I love dearly and I'm close to, but I particularly noticed it with my children. It's part of being a parent in a way that any kind of, I identify so much with them and any suffering of theirs. Um, and I want so much for them to have a happy life and I want everything to go well in their lives, which it doesn't always have every moment, of course. And, and sometimes I'm aware of the fact that my um, merging and identity with them is not helpful to them or me. And, and then I want to let them be kind of that story you told about yourself, well, his suffering is not my suffering when you were a young man with it ill person, that there's some measure of that that's actually wholesome to be able to remember, well, he's his own person, he has to work this out, I can't, I can continue to love him and support him, but it's not for me to take this on. So how do you balance that out? That's difficult. I think we shouldn't be too strict with ourselves and we shouldn't, you know, not um, avoid dogmatic thinking we are human beings and we love our family members. You love your children and you are, of course you are identified with them and you want the best for them. And the fact that you're reflecting this from, you know, that's excellent. That's the best you can do. And we have our follies and our, our attachments. That's also okay. That's part of, that's what I feel of being a human being connected to others, you know with all the pain and joy that comes with it. Mm -hmm. 
and it's nothing I have read in that with these words, but that's what I would say, and because I, I feel that is true. So. Thank you. Thank you, Sue, and thank you, Dr. Schlockelman, for prescribing the medicine of Buddha Dharma to us.